Yo, 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 everybody, it's Stretch Armstrong. And my name is Bobito Garcia, K. Cool Bob Love. If you love this podcast you are listening to, you should check out our new show, What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. This is not your average interview show. We're going to be telling stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Find it on Apple Podcasts, the NPR One app, or however you find your podcast. It's What's Good. Now, before we start, I would really love it if you could go to iTunes and review the show. Seriously, just go to iTunes and let us know what you think. It really, really does help other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. Here is a recent four-star review from NoAsh42. Quote, informative and only slightly annoying. Oh, thanks. That's so kind of you. See, we welcome all reviews around here, and we can't wait to read yours. Now, let's start the show. By all appearances, Pamela Druckerman's life is pretty great. She's an American expat and best-selling author living in Paris. She has three beautiful children who are now bilingual. But despite all the wine and baguettes and exceptionally well-dressed people, you can still miss your home country. And that is where a podcast can help. I've lived here for 12 years now, and I probably discovered podcasts about five or six years into my stay here. And I... Something I realized that after a while of listening to podcasts, something kind of shifted and I start to actually like not really mind living here as much as I used to. Okay, but seriously, how bad could Paris be, really? Anyway, for Druckerman, podcasts filled a void. Podcasts brought America to me in a way that movies don't. It was almost as if I was there. I could sort of feel what people were kind of worried about and the words they used, I sort of felt like I wasn't missing the zeitgeist anymore. I'm Lauren ober and from WAMU and NPR. This is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Now, it didn't take long for Druckerman to get totally addicted to podcasts. They weren't just a connection to home, they also helped her sleep. I found that if I listened to a podcast, I didn't necessarily have to take a sleeping pill every night to be able to kind of make it through the night. Druckerman had long had trouble sleeping, and podcasts seemed better than pharmacopoeia. So she ditched her pills and popped in her earbuds. She started with the TED Radio Hour. There are a lot of theories out there, and Russell Foster described three of them in his TED Talk. The first is... The trick is you can't find one that's too boring. You have to kind of get yourself into the zone where you're not thinking about yourself. But then it can't be so gripping that you have to find out what happens next. So I think Ted is kind of the sweet spot for that. She also started listening to interview podcasts like WTF with Mark Maron. One thing that works is the story of someone's life. Um, I was working in New York and I was... A shattered emotional mess doing this sh- streaming video show that no one watched. Like, oh, and then what happened? You know, that in my 20s, I did this. And like, by, usually by somebody's 30s, I'm asleep. Druckerman recently wrote about her podcast addiction in a piece for The Atlantic, provocatively titled, Podcasts are the New Xanax. She says she used podcasts as a sleep aid for about two years. And it worked. Until it didn't. We'll check in with Druckerman in a bit to hear about how podcasts started to fail her. But first, puppies! (laughs) If you're like me and you listen to the news all the time, 
you are bound to get a little depressed here and there. And what is a reliable antidote for that? Animals, particularly those with fur. The ones you just want to eat up because they're so stinking cute. Is there a dog? The podcast, Can I Pet Your Dog, fits perfectly in that category. That's a dog that we really want to meet. Hey, can I pet your dog? 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 With Renee and Allegra. Can I Pet Your Dog is hosted by Renee Colvert and Allegra Ringo, a dog wanter and a dog owner, respectively. Both women are writers with a deep obsession with Canis familiaris, and neither can walk past a pup without stopping to say hi. Sadly, Allegra Ringo came down with kennel cough the day before our interview. Get it? Kennel cough? Because we're talking about dogs. But we were able to pull Renee Colvert away from creeping on dogs at the dog park to chat about the show. Renee, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you so much for having me. So I have my first question for you. It's pretty simple. Can I pet your dog? Yes, absolutely. Well, now, Lauren, you want to hear this. I started a podcast about dogs, and I don't have one. See, I find this very confusing, Renee. I know. Because why? I know. Why don't you have a dog? Well, now listen, I think we could we could easily call me a fraud, but I will defend myself <laughs> and say I represent the public that is a dog wanter. You live one of those lives where you're never home, but you love dogs. So while I don't have the lifestyle that lets me have a dog at the moment, I, uh, I sure do love petting everybody else's. Right. So I'm representing that category of the public. But why couldn't you have one of those dogs that fits in your purse? Well, now, yet again, maybe this is a personality flaw, but I like a big dog. I like a big fluff. In a crisis, could I ride him? Could he get me out of here is is what I'd like. I have a 50-pound mutt, and there's no way that he could help me out of a pickle. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't ride sure. on his back. I would crush him to death. Right. Well, and you know what? We just recently had a guest who pointed out, oh, I'd like to have a dog that's of moderate size that if he's in trouble, I could carry him. And that never even occurred to right. me. I'm like, no, no, no. The, the dog is here to save me. <laughs> Through all that, when I'm like, what kind of dog would I get? It's uh, for me, I want a dog that I can lift. Okay, again, yeah. maybe a bummer. Yeah. Um, but if anything ever happens to the dog, I need to be able to take it to the vet. And like you guys saw, I've got tons and tons of stairs. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. if I had a big dog and it and anything happened, and I was just like, sorry, you're gonna you're gonna have to be sick on my porch for you that would be really sad (laughs) i had a cat that used to have seizures um and that was terrifying the first time it happened and then after that we're like well this is what you do we know how to handle this (laughs) okay but um but yeah, it's I, I, I just want to be able to lift it. <laughs> That's really smart. I think people don't often think of that. In my experience? Yeah, no, Renee? you're right. Uh, no, I think what you gave me a very knowing look. Uh, Eliza, I'm embarrassed to say that my rule for a dog is I want to be able to ride him in a crisis. So I'm counting on him to save me. I do right. think this is a better way to handle right. it. I got to be able to save him. Well, you know, as long as you have some exit strategy. <laughs> okay, so how, how long have you been a lover of dogs? Oh, boy. You know, since I was a kid, I got my first dog when I was six. And it's uh, it's just sort of like a visceral feeling where you're just like, I, I need to I need to be around this thing. Mm-hmm. And I wish that we could explain it. But it's just kind of like, a, oh, no, I was just born a dog person. What was your first dog's name? 
Oh, Molly. I have a dark past. I used Ooh. to be in musical theater, and so I tried to name the dog Annie Warbucks, and my folks gently talked me down, maybe the name of one of the orphans. Could we work with that? So that's how we ended up with Molly, named after the smash hit musical, Annie. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe, like, no to Annie Warbucks. That, well, what well, kind of parents listen, did it was you have? the 80s. I know, I know. I think that maybe everything in our house was named Annie. Well, so they just needed a little bit of a reprise right. of like, give me give me something else, please. Right. Just give us another name, <laughs> another girl's name that ends in a Y. Right. You know? You can do it. Dig deep. I know you can think of another name. Right, right. right. Now, you know, beyond just sort of like fawning over pups, you and Allegra have a segment called Mutt Minute. Are you ready? Ready. Your minute starts now. Newfoundlands, upon first assessment, according to me, look like a big brown bear. They are also the number one rated dog for families, according to Animal Planet's Dogs 101. The origin of the Newfoundland is a mystery. Some think that it was descended from the Great Pyrenees mixed with a Mastiff and a French Hound. But everyone is very clear on the fact that Newfoundlands came from Newfoundland. Newfies were bred to be worker dogs and lifeguards in the water. They would haul in fish nets to the shore, and they would save anyone who fell overboard. A new fee. Listen to this. It isn't exactly you're not learning about mutts, so you kind of do purebreds, right? Right, right. The alliteration is a little deceiving because right. we uh, we just tell you kind of the lineage of every breed right. that comes down, but just not many. Breed. Where where do we go with that? So we called it Mutt Minute. You have to you have to use the alliteration. I respect that. Thank you, thank you. Finally, somebody who understands what we're doing here. And don't think that we didn't get several emails being like, technically, it is not a mutt. Right. We know. Thank you for playing along. We know. We know. But yeah, it does make it really fun because Allegra and I get to learn about all the dog breeds. And certainly now, when I'm looking for a dog, I kind of have this uh, little encyclopedia of how how all these dogs came to be and uh, their kind of innate behaviors. And it's it's interesting. You get to learn something. So your your a multi-month journey of uh, of finding a dog uh, is yes. You guys are chronicling it in the podcast on in your segment Highway to Hound. What are your goals? So, uh, so I think going in, uh, my preferences. I'd like I'm like a big dog. Okay. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. Let's. Okay, it has to be big. Okay. Now, what's your minimum weight requirement? Oh, you know, I don't. Mm. I don't know that. I just like Fair. big. I'd like if I in a perfect world, I'd like a. I'd like a big. Okay. A big. Uh, I'd like a. I'd like a fluffy. Okay. Okay. Fluffy. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I'd like a floppy ear. Big, fluffy, floppy ear. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got okay. it. Uh, I'd love him to be a therapy dog. I'd love okay. to, I do a lot of, uh, oh, hey, I'll go to the nursing home. I'll go to the hospital. I'll say hi. See, feel like I'd be far more welcomed with a dog on my side. Yes. So, okay, you want- First of all, why is it taking so long? Like, why can't you just, like, go to your local rescue organization and just, or just, like, go on the web, flip through some pictures on Pet Finder, and then just, like, find your forever animal? Well, like, 14 years forever, I guess. <laughs> It's not really a That is an excellent, excellent question. I have a uh, roommate who will be moving out in September who doesn't like dogs. Oh, the problem is that you have this junky roommate. Exactly. And I don't know why that wasn't the top of my vetting process when I let him in in the first place. Can I get a dog? Should have been the first question. Right. Whoever this person is seems like a real drip. I got to tell right. you. Here's sorry. a fun twist. He wrote our theme song. Well. Can you believe that? I know. I know. 
That's terrible, actually, because your theme song is very fun. Um, Thank you. Okay, so so September, this drip heads out, and you and you are free to pick up the dog of your dreams. Do you have a name for the dog picked out, or is this like the oh. dog is going to have to tell you what its name is? That is a great question. We actually are doing a fun thing where we're letting our listeners name the dog. Uh. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. My fear slash, well, you know what? This is my bed. Now I have to lie in it is I'm going to have a dog named Mr. Cuddlebutt. You know, something, something right, real Something ridiculous. Pie. Right. 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 Uh, do you think that, you know, because your co-host Allegra has a dog named Pistachio, do you think that somebody's going to keep it with the nut theme and maybe go with like, maybe you get like a walnut or like, um, you know, a cashew or something like I that? I think that's super fun. I yeah. love that. Well, that's my vote. Great, yeah. My vote is cashew. Okay. Uh, for your, for your next dog. Also, it's two syllables. Dogs can't understand any more than two. That's my vote. Okay. Or Brazil nut. I am noting it right now. I put your vote in the box. I'll let you know how it turns out. <laughs> well, Renee Colbert, uh, co-host of Can I Pet Your Dog, good luck finding your, your little forever furry friend. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. <laughs> Renee Colbert is the co-host of Can I Pet Your Dog from Maximum Fun. To find out more about their show, check out our website, biglisten.org. Remember our friend Pamela Druckerman from the top of the show? She's the writer who uses podcasts as basically Ambien. And that was all well and good until it wasn't. My husband had not caught on to podcasts at this phase and was a little bit baffled by my podcast habit. Druckerman's insomnia treatment probably would have been fine for a single person but not exactly great for someone who shared a bed with a partner. I would get into bed and put the podcast in my ear. We really weren't spending that much time talking to each other. (laughs) And I'm putting talking in quotes. Right, exactly. Okay, okay. And also out of quotes, talking in and out of quotes. But more than that, at some point, podcasts just stopped working. Druckerman times it to the recent American presidential election. I found that I was kind of waking up at 5 (laughs) a.m., I'd fall asleep to a a podcast and then suddenly I'd be wide awake and I'd have to (laughs) listen to another podcast for an hour or so in order to fall back asleep. And then I'd wake up tired and I I had trouble working and it wasn't solving my problems anymore. It was creating problems. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's like true junkiedom that you're describing. Exactly. Yeah. We'll hear more from Pamela Druckerman later about how she eventually weaned herself off of podcasts. And we'll talk to America's favorite Jewish mothers, Rana and Beverly, about what podcasts they're into right now. I thought of one. I thought of one. Sword and Scale. Oh. Murder, 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 murder. But first, we're going to turn our attention to a slightly more serious matter with author and journalist Alex Kotlowitz. His new podcast features stories from men in a maximum security penitentiary. I felt like if I could just get them to write about something to do with their prison cell, that it would give them a sense of humanity. And also, just sort of speak to how one gets by living in prison. That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. This is NPR. Hey, pals. We'd like to say a very quick thank you and share a message from one of our sponsors, Stoke Cold Brew Coffee, for when inspiration strikes and you want to fuel your motivation. Stoke is all about the process, the bean selection, the right grind, and the cool brewing temperatures for 10 hours. It's all key to creating a bold yet smooth 
taste. Find it in the refrigerated juice section of your favorite grocery store today. Stoke cold brew coffee. Look at you go. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from thinkaboutyoureyes.com. Did you know that your eyes are windows to your soul and your body's health? In fact, a yearly comprehensive eye exam could detect early signs of serious health issues like diabetes, heart disease, and even the possibility of stroke early enough for you to seek treatment. Be sure to visit your eye doctor every year and you might just save more than your vision. Find an eye doctor near you at thinkaboutyoureyes.com. Lauren, it's Robin in Santa Rosa calling with my weekly podcast recommendation. This year, one of the, my New Year's resolutions was to learn more about classical music. So, being me, I turned to podcasts. My recommendation this week is for a podcast called Composer's Datebook. It's a daily podcast. It's only two minutes. And every single episode is about what piece of classical music was performed on today's date. It was only in America some years later in 1943 when Bartok first heard his concerto at a New York Philharmonic concert. He wrote, I was most happy that there is nothing wrong with the scoring. Nothing needs to be changed, even though orchestral accompaniment... Of the they pack an amazing amount of information into this podcast. So... Composer's Datebook. Thanks a lot, you guys. Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and honestly, I need a favor. I need you to call this number, 202-885-POD1, and tell me what you're putting your ears on. The pod line is actually the coolest, and you need to be a part of it. Now, if you've seen movies like Shawshank Redemption or Dead Men Walking, you might think you have an idea about prison life in America. I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. But if you've never been incarcerated, it's hard to truly grasp what happens in prison on the day-to-day. We have more people in prison than anywhere else in the world. And yet, we understand so little about what it means to spend years of your life locked up, much of your time confined to a small prison cell. Author and journalist Alex Kotlowitz's new podcast, Written Inside, offers a glimpse into a part of prison life that doesn't ever make it onto the big screen. The roommate challenges, the social isolation, the lack of opportunity for betterment. Written Inside features stories crafted by incarcerated men with the help of Kotlowitz and then brought to life by voice actors. Some people think I'm obsessive, and I suppose I am. The other inmates on the gallery tease me by calling me Mr. Clean. But cleaning is a way for me to feel like I have some control over my life. I need that to allay my anxiety as I continue to fight my case in the courts, trying to find my way back home. Alex Kotlowitz, welcome to The Big Listen. Hi, thanks for having me. So can you explain, uh, just explain sort of the the framework for this podcast and and how it came to be? Sure. I mean, in some ways it was kind of an accidental project. I was invited about a year ago to um, speak to a 
a class at Stateville Correctional Center uh, outside Chicago, about 45 minutes outside Chicago. It's a maximum security prison. And there was a philosophy professor from Northwestern, Jennifer Lackey, who was teaching a class there. And she invited me to come in to speak about my uh, first book, There Are No Children Here. And she had actually bought copies for the 15 inmates. Um, some of the guys knew actually some of the characters in the book because they were from the neighborhood, same neighborhood. Oh, my goodness. But while I was there, I did this exercise. Uh, but part of what I wanted to talk to them about was storytelling. And so I did this exercise there where I had them write about their prison cells. And, you know, just to, uh, they had 10 or 15 minutes. But I was so taken with what they wrote that, you know, about a week later, I called Jennifer and I said, you know, if these guys were up for it, I'd be willing to work with them on trying to really create something um, that maybe would find an audience outside the prison. Mm-hmm. And so I spent the next eight months working with these inmates um, in this class from draft to draft to draft. Mm-hmm. They would, some of the guys, we're kind of saying, you know, if I'm going to write about something, I really want to write about my case. I want to write about the conditions in the prison. And and I really wanted to just give them the tools to write about story. And I felt like if I could just get them to write about something to do with their prison cell, that it would give them a sense of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just sort of speak to how one gets by living in prison. Um, I mean, I should say all these guys were, you know— they all were serving time for violent crimes. Many of them had been there for at least a couple of decades, one as long as 35 years. Right. So they'd been there for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I imagine, though, keeping the focus narrow um, was helpful because, like you said, that they were there was a tendency to sort of want to write about, you know, broader things, my case or, you know, conditions in the prison. You could right. go on forever. But right. talking, you know, keeping it narrow to to what is this place what does this place look like where you are living? Right. And moreover, you know, the, the other thing I had to sort of fight against is that they were many of the essays, early essays were kind of polemical. And right. I really wanted them to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they would tell a story. And then I had to sort of help them figure out why they were telling that story. Mm-hmm. What was it about? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's one of the stories about a um, one of the guys who talks about having spending um, a number of months trying to fight all these roaches in his <laughs> cell, and it's a it's a wonderful story. But I kept on saying to him, "So why why are you writing about this? What importance does this have to you?" And it turns out that which he ends up writing about in his essay that you know years ago he had met a guy in prison who was just didn't take care of himself. You know, just this hygiene was terrible, and he just vowed that he would never become that person. He smelled of urine and sour milk. But what blew my mind was that in his hair and beard, roaches crawled around. I pointed it out to him, thinking maybe he wasn't aware of them. Hey, Fester, man, get those roaches out of your hair, I hollered. And he responded, oh, they ain't hurting nothing. We got an understanding and we cool. I was about 21 at the time. Still early in my bit, Fester was in his 40s and had been locked up for over 20 years. In that moment, I realized that Fester had totally given up on himself. It was also in that moment that I went to war with everything that Fester represents. The loss of vigilance against the elements of prison that suddenly ask you to surrender your dignity. And so when you first started reading what they were writing, what were your sort of immediate thoughts? You know, you're writing, you, like, this is what you do for a living. 
Right. Well, first of all, I got to say, just my my immediate thought was some of the, some of the things they wrote about just kind of knocked me off balance. You mm-hmm. know, really surprised me. There's this wonderful story about one of the guys who. Uh, very much wanted to learn how to play the piano. Yeah. Um, he was he was head of his church choir, and he had access to a piano one hour a week on Sundays. And so he ends up building himself a cardboard piano that he spent hours, I mean hours upon hours, practicing on in his prison cell. Yeah. And on that cardboard piano, actually teaches himself how to play. I positioned my practice space at the end of my bunk bed. I was fortunate to have the bottom bunk because I could sit on my small property box like a piano bench. I folded my mattress on itself and then placed the piano on the steel bed frame. For hours at a time, I would practice finger positions and chords. Sometimes I would hum the sound of the keys as I tapped on the cardboard. I had one silly ask, only partly joking, do you need me to call a psych doctor for you? Every time I got a new cellmate, I would warn him. Don't be alarmed, I'd say. I have a cardboard piano that I play. I had one silly asked me to teach him. First, I showed him that music is alive and always moving. But when we sat down on our bunk beds to learn the mechanics, he lacked the focus and imagination to learn on the cardboard piano. He lasted only a couple of weeks. I, on the other hand, practiced for hours on end, to the point where I developed calluses on my fingers. There were some themes that that popped up for me that, you know, I don't necessarily think about when I think of prison. And one was friendship. Right. Well, there actually, it comes up actually in a number of the stories. Yeah, yeah there were right. two. There it, was the, yeah. the, the, recluse, the recluse. right. And then the guy who um, who never wanted to make friends in prison but ended up making a friend mm-hmm. in prison and was surprised about that. Making friends is very dangerous. You don't know who you can trust. Um, they Some of the guys in, in one of the essays, they talk about how they've had cellmates who who've actually stolen addresses and have written family yeah, and that friends. Was crazy. And, right, I know it was crazy, I know. And there is this one, you know, very touching essay about a guy who, you know, has been there for a long time. He's never had he didn't have it sounds like he didn't have really have when he was out in the streets for different reasons, really couldn't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. And so didn't have any friends there. And of course when he went to prison kind of even pulled more inward. And then at some moment he ends up with this Cellmate, who happens to be Demetrius, the right. guy who plays the uh, right. cardboard piano, and they end up becoming best friends. It's kind of a, it's actually a really, for me, a really poignant piece because he talks about, and I had to really push him on this, but mm-hmm. they, he talks about the friendship and why it was so important to him. And then suddenly, just like that, Demetrius is transferred and he's transferred to another prison, and they will probably never be able to have any communication. We both knew transfer day was on Wednesdays. So every day from that point on, we ate more meals together. Laughed even more, which I didn't think was possible. And just appreciated the moments. It was a Monday morning when the officer came to the cell and told Demetrius to pack his property. The next morning around 3.30 a.m., an officer came to get him. Let's go, Cunningham. I jumped out of bed. We exchanged addresses for our family since we wouldn't be able to write each other directly. We gave each other an embrace 
and I gave him some shorts to put under his jumpsuit. Thanks, Michael. Well, goodbye. He was gone. So in that line, I I wonder what you think uh, producing these pieces did for for the, the authors. Well, I think for them, it gave them some affirmation that they had something important to say. But I think more than that, it, it, you know, I said this early on, but and I, it sounds a little facile, but but it, it gave them some sense of humanity. Mm-hmm. These are guys, again, all in for violent crimes, many of them in for murder. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, moment comes to define you and you spend, I know this from talking to other people who have served time for violent crimes, that you spend much of your time trying to to run from that, trying right. to find other things that'll help define you. And so here they write about something that has nothing to do with that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there was something incredibly affirming about that for the for the inmates. What, what do you think, um, or what would you like people to get out of written inside when they're listening to it? I think if nothing else, just to get people to think about what it means to send people away to prison for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, when is enough enough, you right. know? Um, so in a, a you know much more simple way, it's really this kind of portal into prison life. And as a country that sends so many people away to prison, I think we have an obligation to try to understand what that means. Alex Kotlowitz is the creator of Written Inside from our pals at WBEZ in Chicago. To get more info about the show, hit up our website, biglisten.org. We're going to take another super quick break, but when we come back, we'll get an earful from improv duo Rana and Beverly, who are a little confused about who's running the interview. Lauren, yeah. you do this show, this is and then do you color. have another job, your Trader Joe's checkout or whatever? <laughs> You're not the interviewer today. Oh, She's I the know. interviewer. I forgot. Isn't that funny? Because we do interviewing. <laughs> That's coming up so soon on The Big Listen. Stay put. This is NPR. Here's your call signal. Yeah. Yep. W-A-M-U 88.5. Five. Lauren Oberman <laughs> is here. Lesbians. <laughs> You know, that actually was what we were going to use um, as our tagline. Why not? Uh, It just didn't work. It's too long. I'm Linda Holtz. And I'm Stephen Thompson. There's more stuff to watch and read these days than any one person can get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we sort through the nonsense, share reactions, and give you the lowdown on what's worth your precious time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, uh, this is Walter. I'm calling to uh, give a big shout out to Out There. It's a wide variety of uh, different stories uh, about which the outside, the outdoors, and being in the outdoors is one of the themes. One of my all-time favorites is the actually very first episode, uh, which talks about a biologist who um, embedded himself in a herd of deer out west. If another human showed up, they acted like normal deer. They'd spook and run away. That was a very important revelation to me, to know that uh, I was not habituating these deer and not making them more vulnerable to hunters, for example. 
Joe came up with a special... This biologist got to know these deer very well, and he recognized that they have just as much differentiation in their personalities as, as we are experiencing with our uh, the, the pets that we live with more closely. And um, uh, so I would highly, highly recommend it to anybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I know you love podcasts. I know. That's why you're here. So shout it from the rooftops or just call the pod line and tell us about it. 202-885-POD1 is the number, so call us. All right, friends, it's that time again. We call it Listen Up, and it's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they're into these days. And today, right here in the Big Listen studios, we have a huge treat for you. Or it'll be the worst thing you've ever heard. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, Rana and Beverly are two middle-aged Jewish singles from Marblehead Mass. Allow me to explain a bit about who these two remarkable women are and why they would require an introduction at all. Rana Glickman and Beverly Ginsburg have been friends for over 40 years. Uh, Actually, 38. There were two years where they didn't speak. Rana claims that Beverly wore the same dress as her to her son's bar mitzvah, and Beverly insists it was just a different color. I mean, Beverly wore lavender and Rana wore lilac, but according to Rana, purple is purple. Regardless, or as Beverly would say, irregardless, their great and timeless friendship has endured. They even wrote a book together. You'll do a little better next time. A guide to marriage and remarriage for Jewish singles. We are the best-selling co-authors of a, a book. book, 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 You'll book. do a little better next time. A guide to marriage. And remarriage. And remarriage. For Jewish, for Jewish but Says the, Jewish for everyone. It's for everyone. Yeah. The book is for everyone. Yeah. Everyone. To be a black, white, gay, straight, a little bit gay. Yeah, sure. A little bit straight. That's yeah. a spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the autism spectrum. Yeah. Rana and Beverly love their kids. They love Broadway. And they love Cadbury mini eggs. Um, I, I Before we start, I brought you guys some. Something. Oh, oh, wonderful! Now I hope it's Cadbury mini eggs. Oh, <gasps> uh, oh it is. Oh. Ah. For the uninitiated, Rana and Beverly are fictitious characters created by improv comedians Jessica Chafin and Jamie Denbo, so they're not real, FYI. But they are hilarious, and they host the appropriately titled comedy podcast Rana and Beverly. Rana and Beverly. Welcome to the Big Listen. Are we recording? Well, we have been recording. Are you recording the whole time? Yeah. Whenever we do this, she always says, are we recording? They're always recording. In her mind, she's saying, tell me when to record. I'm saying, Beverly, start to assume they're recording. Um, I want to know um, I want to know how Ron and Beverly met. Camp. Camp. Well, I was such a, a like a fun person at camp. Rana I was, was homesick for two summers. She cried true. the whole it's time, not true at and all. all the girls would make fun of her until I finally put my foot down. I said, "Stop making fun of her!" Now and I've then she became everything. very fun. I was the but captain I still had of the a tennis lot team. Of boyfriends. I was the captain a of the swim team. Jewish camp is for. A lot of um, mm-hmm. a lot of nude swimming. A lot of skinny night, dipping. yeah. yeah. We would do moon. well. We had that one night, the full moon party, where they where everybody got to skinny dip. In the yeah, full, Rana, the Rana really, moon. she really loosened up after those first. two And we summers. had the naked mile. They used to call a stick in the mud. <laughs> like, they don't do that anymore because they're worried about children being abused. Yeah, but mm-hmm. we used to run a naked mile. I think she was embarrassed because she kept peeping her pants for so much longer than a normal child. <laughs> None of that is accurate. That is hard when you go to summer camp, though, if you're a bedwetter. Of course, but uh, you I know would, what? I would imagine. You know what the funny thing? Isn't funny? how much Jews love camp. Isn't that funny? Because of the association. I 
Isn't that hysterical? I'm not making that it's association. It's so funny. Everyone does, okay? okay? Just because your generation is so politically incorrect <laughs> and you have to sit there and be all this and all that, I can tell you right now, I'm thrilled that we have summer camps now and not concentration camps. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I'm, I, you know what? I would She's agree. Right. I would agree. Go. I wasn't, I wouldn't necessarily draw the parallel though. Well, I, you don't have to. I just did. Okay. I'm having another Same egg. word. Beverly's very uh, dexterous when it comes to language. Yeah. Um. So you met at summer camp and you've been friends for how many years? I mean, what mm, decades? 40 years. 30, 38 years. 48 years. 38 years. 40, 40, 40, 40 to 38 years. Somewhere. Two years we didn't She didn't speak. talk to me. Yeah. I spoke right. to her, though. Right. I tried to talk to her. She just wouldn't return my calls. Mm, and we would, would see each other at the grocery store. Oh, yeah. she would see me. She would see me. Yeah. Why? I did um, not see what her. Was, what was the um, it's a funny story. The it's source not of a the kerfuffle? It's not a funny story. It's hilarious now. No. Okay. It's not funny. Well, it's forgiven. It's not funny. How did you guys make up? She kept calling me. Hello, I'm at your window. Hello, <laughs> like I picked sort your of, lock. Sort Hello. of like, like I'm in your heart, or you're in my heart, I'm in your bushes. Yeah. Kind of oh, a is thing. that a cute little <laughs> hammock hat? Did yeah. you make that up? Mm-hmm. It was exactly like that. that. I know, I know, I have a whole line Don't of them. Don't give it away. Yeah, it stalker was exactly like that. cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she Non-stop. just like was relentless. I realized that we, we we live in a very small, we live in two towns right next to each other, but it's really one community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a very small community. Right. And I realized either Beverly was going to be committed yep. to a mental institution. Oh, is that funny? Uh, yep. <laughs> or yep. our friendship was going to have yep. to continue. Right. And the truth is I missed yep. her. Yep. Yeah. I missed yep. her a little. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. yeah. Somehow you ladies seem to get some pretty well-known guests on your show. In your in your fantasy world, who are you getting to come on your show? Liam Neeson, Oscar okay. Schindler himself. Okay. <laughs> well, he just played the character. Not in my mind. Okay. In my mind, at night, he is a superhero, yeah. German, mm. who runs out and saves Jews from persecution mm. or just prays over Jewish graves. That's what he does at night, like the Batman. What about during the day? He's just Liam <laughs> in the Neeson? In the day, he's shooting his movies or his action, yeah. dumb action movies. Okay. Yeah. Could, okay. could never seen one. Don't care. All right. Liam Neeson. Yep. Beverly's on Liam Neeson. We tried very hard to get Jake Tapa this this uh, trip. CNN. Yeah, and we thought he would have been fabulous. We hear he has got a great sense of humor, but <laughs> C- and we uh, truly and we have a lot of big Hollywood friends in common. Yeah, uh, but CNN put the kibosh on it. They think we're too really? dangerous. I also think Barack Obama would be a oh, yeah. wonderful guest. Baruch. Baruch. Yes, Baruch. What do you think it to me? And Jill, it, 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 and Jill Biden. No, like it's not Jill Baruch. Biden. It's not spelled Baruch. But it's but it's a descendant. It's a it's a what's a word? Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. it's the same uh, word base. Sure. As same Baruch. root. Says who? He's blessed Obama. Who says that's what it means? What, what does Barack? Well, mean? that's why we would have him, and I would ask. Um, anyway, I'd wait, love so to have Baruch. Yeah. Baruch. Yeah. What about Michelle? Of course, why not? Everybody wants Michelle, but you can't get Michelle. No. I want to get Ivanka's neighbor, Diane Bruce. Oof. What, what the woman you know? who was wearing the fur coat, yeah. drinking her wine. Good for her. Yeah. What would you ask her? What do you want to talk to her about? Are they ruining the neighborhood? Yeah. But- I already know her answer is yes. <laughs> so I want to know um, why you thought America needed to hear from two middle-aged 
Jewish ladies. We're an underrepresented demographic. You tell me where else you can hear this. Every schmuck in this world is getting on the air with some sort of, I'm going to tell you what I think of movies, and I'm going to tell you what I think of books, and I'm going to tell you and have a conversation with this person and this person, and everybody's doing a big PR campaign and walking around on this science fact. Who cares? There's nothing We're like just we like do. everybody else. We like to hear ourselves talk. Okay. No, right. that's not my answer. Do you like to hear Beverly talk? Most of the time. Right. I love to hear Ron. She's so smart. She's like the internet before the internet. You don't need the internet if you're going to listen to us. We've got Sam to look Google things for us if we have to question. He is very good. Your producer is very good at fact checking. He's not terrific? our producer. He's, he's our engineer. He's your engineer. Yes. I'm sorry. Your engineer is excellent at Googling. Probably one more egg. I'm going to get a migraine right in front of Yeah, you shouldn't, ha- you shouldn't have. Yeah. I'm concerned eggs. because I feel like each of you have had about three dozen of these, mm-hmm. and I'm worried that. It's a lot of chocolate. A lot of chocolate and sugar in your bellies right now. Oh no, mm-hmm. I work like my. St- I am such a well-oiled. She burns I have the very end, quickly. My, yeah. I have a lot of energy. Okay. I, and I always hear songs in my head, like Broadway. Yeah. I, lo- I love to score my own. When I when I'm grocery shopping, I need apples. That apple doesn't look good. Pick a different one. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I need to get milk. Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. Where's the two percent? So for me, if I'm I dancing to, through if life. If I had to live ten minutes in her head. Hmm. You'd find me dead in my own house, up by my own hand. Oh, lucky, lucky me! I can't I handle that kind of noise. I love it. That I kind of noise. I'm surprised that you didn't score your own um, podcast music. Wait, excuse me, I'm not a musician. I never said I was a musician. Where'd you read that? I I didn't, but it <laughs> sounded like from the tone that you you know you're singing that you just did. Well, like, Beverly no, composes I, 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 a song every week. Of course, yeah. I do. Every episode, she composes a new we do. song. Well, I do like a karaoke. Yeah. I think we love doing this podcast. I think we thought we would sort of do it for ourselves, and now we love connecting to our listeners. People listen a, to it. We have a whack pack. We have, and we get yeah. wonderful, wonderful letters from people. You get a lot of things sent to you, but we also get very real. We get people looking for very real uh, advice, and I'm not sure whether our advice is good or it isn't, but we like it. I love. Well, of course, so it's we don't good mind advice. giving. We it. have experience. We also people can ask a normal. P- women of a certain age who are American for their opinions. Right. Do you, yeah. Did you want to hear our podcast recommendations, Lauren, that you've asked oh. everybody else who comes on this show, you ask everybody wants to know what podcast, I happen to know podcasts. I listen to them on my phone with an app that my daughter put on my phone. What app? One of the podcasts. I don't okay. know. One of them. Who the cares? Of who, who cares? cares? It does not matter. What do you listen to it's then, Beverly? It's well, a button. When I have my niece and her triplets in the car. Right. What are their names again? Does Rafi have a podcast? Brayden, and Daisy. Mm-hmm. Huh? Does Rafi have a podcast? Who's Rafi? Remember Rafi? I'm in the mood for singing. Oh, Rafi. Hey, Stop how it. about no, you? I don't know from Rafi. Anyway, let's Sesame Lenny the baby. have a podcast? No. They but should. can I tell you what the podcast yeah. is? Yeah. yeah. Story Pirates. Story Pirates. Have you not heard of it? Tell me about it. It is so terrific. Children send in their stories from all over the country, and then they do sketch comedy adaptations. I can't think of of, anything. They are so adorable and talented. And since it was Whoopi Cushion Town, in Whoopi Cushion World, which is out of this galaxy, they always did Whoopi Cushion things. So they decided to call it National Whoopi Cushion Day. So every year they got lots of whoopee cushions and then they cut them up and then they made a giant whoopee cushion and then everyone was standing around it. Then they jumped on it and made a giant farting sound. The end. All right, Story Pirates. Yeah. Rana, are you listening to any podcasts or you don't have the time? 
No, I love podcasts, but if you're asking me to recommend one, mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of them, but I don't know if I love any of them. Okay. Does that make sense? Do you, you feel lukewarm about most of them? Well, I've been listening to Crime Town. Okay. Which I like a lot mm-hmm. because I like the Providence stories and mm-hmm. I love all those characters mm-hmm. and, and I think they're doing a good job on it. Who's Raymond Patriarca? Well, he's a key part of our story. The crime and corruption that plagues Providence all goes back to him. And he conducted his business from a rundown storefront filled with dusty cigarette machines and arcade games. It was called the Coinomatic. But I do feel that those hosts are sort of winking and enjoying themselves a little bit more than than I'm enjoying them. Right. If that makes any sense. That makes sense. I mean, look, you got to you got to give them an A for effort. So oh, I kinda... oh, I thought of one. I thought of one. Sword and scale. Oh. Murder, 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 murder. Here's all these people that I I love that are now gone. And I, you know, just let them know that, you know, that I love them and I miss them. On March 26th, 1997, Rio D'Angelo received a package in the mail. In it were a set of videotapes containing what the group referred to as exit videos. There was also a note notifying D'Angelo that by the time he got this package, the group had exited their vehicles. With his former boss, D'Angelo drove to the mansion in Rancho Santa Fe that had served as the home for the members of Heaven's Gate. D'Angelo, who was a former member, already knew what to expect, but he had to confirm. When he arrived, he found the back door of the mansion had been intentionally left open. What he found inside was a nightmare. Um, and then right, I listened time. to Serial, and I listened to Criminal, and I right. listened to... Uh, Occasionally, I'll listen to Dear Sugar. Have you ever listened yeah. to that? Yeah. Beverly, are you, um, do we lose you? Are you bored or over this there? This was You're boring. Do you know what I was boy. thinking about? Yeah, she's your phone. Ha- There's a Hamilton podcast that's there on sure Airwolf that I love. Yeah. Oh, is it the room, the room, room where it happened? Room where it happened. Happening. Happens where it happened. Welcome to the room where it's happening. I am Trayvon Free. Here alone, Mike Trucker is working or sleeping. I don't know what Mike's doing, but this is the show where we geek out with you about the best musical of all time. It's Hamilton, week by week, song by song, super fan by super fan. Super fans like you who love all characters in Hamilton, even the ones you think are underrated. And no one else has in the room where it happened. Hey, this is Jill from Buffalo, New York, and I'm pretty sure the most underrated character is King George. He's just got that style. He's got it. Thanks so much for making the show. Bye. My guest. I like to listen to TED Talks. I like black people. Also. I wish black people had more podcasts. Th- that is. Oh, no, there's plenty of podcasts. You're just not listening to well, them. Okay. Yeah. I need a couple of yeah. referrals yeah. of my own. We'll, okay. Well, offline will help you out with that. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Jessica Chafin and Jamie Denbo are Rana and Beverly, who host the eponymous podcast from Earwolf. To get their podcast recommendations or to find out more about their show, check out biglisten.org. It's got all the details. Well, we've almost reached the end of this week's episode. Oh, no. But before we let you go, it's time for Chartography. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. We're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289 
Honestly, if I told you once, told you a thousand times, that is a really great ranking. So this week was an interesting little podcast that is called, wait, hold on, what's it called? I don't even know the name. Hey, what up world, it's your boy Ian. Welcome to Hacking the System. Hacking the System, colon, blueprint to making $100,000, which... Do you want to make six figures? I was pretty interested in listening to because I'd like to make $100,000. Do you want to become a made man? Uh, okay, so this podcast is hosted by a gentleman named Ian Bellina. Ian, how have you, how have you accomplished so much at such a young age? According to the podcast, he is a business founder, a documentary film producer, an author, and someone who made $100,000 before he was 30 years old. Who says you have to wait till you're old and grumpy to make real money? <laughs> Which I found very comforting, because I do not want to become grumpy if that's what it takes to make money. He, uh, in the particular episode I listened to, um, he talks about how you need to become Superman. It's a metaphor. Superman is a metaphor for the ideal you. I'm not entirely certain how I become Superman or Superwoman, you know, or just Superperson if you don't want to be gendered about it. Who is that person? What does he look like? How does he walk, talk, think like? Also in the podcast, he gives this diatribe on suffering from Nietzsche, which... To live is to suffer. I found to be a little depressing, especially with the up upbeat music loop that he used, but seems to be popular, so maybe this guy has the secret to, to success, you know? Ian Bellina, hacking the system. Blueprint to making big, 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 big cash. Hey, friendly listener. Want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Well, guess what? You can. Just go to iTunes or NPR One or any fine purveyor podcast and just hit the little subscribe button. Then we'll be jamming right into your feed every week automatically. You don't have to lift a finger. Also, please leave us a review. Thank you. As always, we love us some listener feedback. Please like us on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. We're at here, Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen. So follow us. We are not low energy. If you want to send us love notes, our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston and Ponsi Rutch. I, Lauren Ober, was choking on springtime pollen. <coughs> Seasonal allergies. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man J.J. Yore and is produced by WMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. Or, as Rana and Beverly say, you, you, know the, the mini you are here in Washington, D.C., the capital of America. You, the capital. The capital. That's what D.C. That's what D.C. stands, DC stands for. for the the capital. capital. Well, uh, what are you going to tell me? It's not? And now a few final thoughts from author Pamela Druckerman about quitting her nighttime podcast addiction. At first it was just, it was just really quiet. Like, I, it was like I was meditating for the first time. I was, I was right. like, what am I supposed to think about? Or what am I, there are no voices in my head. It's so weird. And, and my husband's just right next to me, just there. You know, like, <laughs> what am I supposed to talk to him? So... <laughs> Yeah, it was tough at first. Her trusty earbuds served as her transitional object. I was going through podcast withdrawal, yeah.
But there's a sort of postscript to Druckerman's podcast addiction story. Since I wrote that article, this is kind of a an afterword. Um, I've, start, I've started listening to podcasts before bed again. Oh, like you've gone back to them. I relapsed. Yeah, I relapsed. I, it made me think that all these people who write addiction memoirs, like they must start using again after they write the book, that it doesn't actually <laughs> purge them of the need. It actually like reminds them of what it was like and makes them want it more. Oh, so writing the article propelled you back into the loving embrace of the podcast. It was a trigger for me. Yeah. And it's just as good as when she started. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR. Hey, before you run off and do whatever it is you're about to do after you listen to our show, how's about you go to iTunes and review it for us? It really, really does help other people find the show. Um, And so if you want other people to share in all the joy that you find from the Big Listen, please review us. Thanks.